Have you tried Underberry's all-new Comtel system yet? Our team has created a brand new user experience that makes accessing vital market information faster than ever before. Access key market intelligence with just a few simple clicks, stay up to date with key industry news, and leverage one-of-a-kind analysis from Ernabari's very own market reporters. The newly redesigned Comtel is packed with new features which allow users to customize dashboards and tailor data to their personal needs like never before. Want to check out the all-new Comtel for yourself? Let us know and we can schedule a guided demonstration and set up a trial today. Walmart's latest initiative has the company exploring how drones can deliver items in a way that's convenient, safe, and fast. Walmart is taking the next step in the exploration of on-demand delivery by announcing a new pilot with Flytrex, an end-to-end -end drone delivery company. The pilot is launching in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and focuses on delivering select grocery and household essential items from Walmart stores using Flytrex's automated drones. Impossible Foods is rolling out a plant-based sausage in Hong Kong, the first international market for the plant-based patty. Consumers in Hong Kong can buy Starbucks's Maze Impossible sandwich at any restaurant across the city. Impossible Sausage will debut later this month at additional restaurants. Impossible Foods selected Hong Kong for the international launch of the product because the region is one of the world's culinary hotspots. And Chinese consumers are expected to eat about 76 million tons of pork, beef, and poultry in 2020. Hello out there in podcast land and welcome to this week's segment of the Ernerberry Weekly Market Digest. I am bringing back a very, very special guest who we all enjoyed very much last time, both in person at the Global Protein Summit, as well as on the podcast not too long ago. That's Glenn Smith, who's the Director of Feed Ingredient Procurement at the fantastic Wayne Farms. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Laura. Great to talk to you. It's always a pleasure. I, I think we always have a good time when we end up on the phone together. And um, one thing I wanted to just chat with you about is, you know, we have not had an opportunity really to catch up since the pandemic hit. How are things going for you? Well, the the protein sector as a whole, like every every other part of the economy, took a serious hit when when this when the pandemic hit back in March. Once schools let out, um, businesses started to close, airlines were shutting down, all the things that, that, that you know, went south in the country, in addition to um, the fear that was basically going through the population and still is about the disease. It certainly hurt um, the protein industry. Um, you know, across the board, you know, obviously people still have to eat. And early on in the pandemic, we everybody in the country saw what was basically a run on the grocery stores to secure as much pork, beef, chicken, any sort of protein that you could for your freezer. Um, I don't think anybody knew up front how long this would last and how, how severe the cutbacks would be as far as just businesses closing, restaurants closing. And so you, you had shortages. It's kind of gone through cycles. You had shortages up front where... Initially, um, prices went up because it was a premium for those for the proteins and the market. But then, once things settled in, and, and the realization that nobody was traveling, nobody was going to school, nobody was doing all the things we take for granted and eating out, and um, so demand in turn went down. Um, you know, people were holed up, and and it's still, you know, to a great extent, it's, people still are. 
but uh, it is definitely coming back. Um, you know, it, but it's been tough, and not just for you know on the processing side or in any business where you had people working in close proximity to each other. Um, the spread of the disease, the harm, the you know the the people that were sick and the people that have passed. Um, it's it's been a challenge in, in all industries, but certainly in the protein sector. And, and that was you know as we saw that in the news around the country. I mean, you have people wor- that were working historically um, shoulder to shoulder, and steps have been put in place. I'm, I'm certainly not in the on the processing side, but um, you know steps have been put in place by those industries to um, put up plastic barriers and um, separate people farther on those lines to to try to prevent disease at the same time trying to safely uh, provide food for the country um, and for the world so um, it is it has definitely been a challenging time things are are starting to turn the corner with schools going back in now um, there's, there's obviously not much travel going on but um, you know, restaurants are opening again and demand is certainly starting to pick up. You're right. And I'm definitely one of those people that is still hold up. We're, we're recording right now from my dining room table, but you're right. You know, people are kind of creeping out and, and testing the waters and taking calculated risks, right? You're putting your kids back in school. Is it safe then to maybe go sit outdoors and <clears throat> dine at a restaurant? So there's a lot of consumers who are just tired of being stuck in the house, right? Especially moms like me when you're you're stuck in the house with <laughs> with your kids and they're climbing up the walls. There's there's a lot of that. And um, I'll tell you that before this all started, I was not much of an alfresco diner. I much prefer to sit inside where it's air conditioned, but it's been so long since my husband and I went out. We went out for our anniversary and did outdoor dining. And can I tell you not five minutes after we sat down, there was a thunderstorm. And my dinner that I paid a hefty dollar for was getting wet. And I was still sitting there eating that dinner and being thankful for every minute of being out of my house. (laughs) 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 So that's where we are, you know, as a country, just desperate for some social contact and for some normalcy. And one thing that I think most people don't think about we're all thinking about how much the groceries are at the store and how few of those groceries there were for a certain amount of time. We're all questioning the things that are right in front of us. But your side of the business, the feed that goes into getting that product to the consumer so they can consume it ultimately, doesn't come up that often in conversation, right? But it's so critical. And the last time that we talked, it was a much different circumstance, right? It was so wet where all the crops were. We couldn't we couldn't get the crops in the ground. There wasn't corn planting when it was supposed to happen. And there was just so much going on. And now we find ourselves in a totally different situation. So demand diminished for a while there. And now it's back. So talk to me about that. What happened? Well, it's, it's, it's and you're right. Talk, going back to last year, a year ago right now, coming off just the incredibly wet spring where we, you know, everybody was concerned about last year's crop, which turned out, all things considered, much better than anyone expected. And then we came into this year where we have what, at the time, the intentions for the corn acres were supposed to be $98 million. That was, in turn, reduced uh, in, a, in, a, in a surprise figure by the USDA 
collected 92 million um, back in the spring when the actual numbers came out. And so we went from thinking we were going to have an all-time record, just a mammoth, could be a 3.3 to 3.5 billion carryout corn crop, to now what would be still a record, extremely healthy, 2.8 billion, which is where we came in in August. Um, you know, everything has looked really good this whole summer. And given the way demand is working, and I, and I should go back and clarify when we talk about demand and how it went down. Um, it's an interesting point that was brought up to me because I was asking the same question. I mean, people, we say, well, people still have to eat. What are they eating? Well, if you think about travel and eating out when the average family does, if you're cooking at home, at least in, in, in our house, and most people I know, you, when you cook at home, you eat everything. You don't throw anything away. I mean, you cook for the family and you have leftovers and, and you buy what you need and you cook and you eat. And then, you know, if you eat out and then we've all been to um, conventions or we've all like school meals, I bet the students, you know, they eat what they want and they throw it away. All this food is produced, but we are probably still consuming as far as, you know, personal consumption for people the same, but the waste is what has totally been reduced because we don't have the restaurants. We don't have the hotels. We don't have the waste that was going on before. Everybody's just trying to get what they can in the store, go to their home. And, and so, and there's nothing thrown out like it was before. Um, so now we have it where things are starting to open back up. Schools are going back in. You have, you know, some travel, but, you know, there's a lot, no air travel to speak of, but people are driving. People, are, you know, like you said, you get cooped up and, and so you're back out there. Well, now um, production of those, of those animals is back up. We will be, you know, by this, you know, getting into September from what I understand across those industries, the, the beef and the and the poultry and the pork, we will be back to levels that, as far as production, as far as animals in the field, back to levels that we were at pre-COVID in early winter, say to February. So it, it's hoping that things continue to improve. You know, the numbers, depending on which news service you're watching or what you think, um, it, it's, 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 all I can see you say is that it is improving and we're hopeful. But as far as feed, we're looking now at this at this crop, and exports are up. Everything is is starting to improve, and at the same time, we are starting to see um, negative influences on this crop. Negative influences. So that's pretty interesting because things were looking pretty good for a while there. Talk to me about what's going on. I know. We kind of did a little prep work before we got together today, and I would love for you to explain derecho. Well, the, the derecho is a uh, honestly, I've been in the in the feeding grain industry now for 28 years, and until this derecho, I mean, I'd heard of one before, but what we had was an unprecedented event. It is basically an anomaly, a a a, a straight line windstorm is essentially what it is. And the one that hit, um, it actually, it, it was, it, it, there was no warning. It was, it's almost like a tornado that's a statewide. But it's not, it's not the, the it's high winds, but what happened is it went straight across Iowa for the most part. They got the worst of it. But it went over into Illinois and northern Indiana, 
It was even in southern Minnesota. I mean, it was just a swath if you look at the map. And the damage that it did, it, it, it basically, not to mention, you know, to homes and grain elevators. I mean, it, it looked in some areas like a tornado had come through. It is. It, it laid down corn. It laid down beans. Um, the damage, depending on who you're talking to, is anywhere from 50 to 350 million bushels that were damaged. We don't really know the extent of it yet. Um, you know, when we have hurricanes in the southeast that will usually come in this time of year, usually corn is probably is about is the crop is made. It's already turned and it's almost ready for harvest. And so it, when it lays down. If it's already dry, you can still get out there and salvage it. But these, this when the derecho came through, I mean, you're talking uh, the the corn and beans are still green, and if those stalks snap, it's going to die. You can't it, it it will it will stop developing, and you cannot harvest it. It's just going to rot in the field. So, you know, the insurance companies still have to figure out exactly how they're going to deal with that. If what's salvageable and what's not, I mean, there may be some fields that yes, you could still cut it for 100 bushels an acre, but the insurance company is going to say, no, it's a total loss. Um, I, I don't know how that's all going to, going to shake out, but it's a significant hit to the, to, the, uh, to the bottom line and to the balance sheet for this corn crop. In addition, you have what it's, – it's not a drought, but there are certain areas around the country this year. Iowa, Nebraska, Colorado doesn't look good. Um, Ohio to the east, as much as the flooding and everything they had last year, they're, they're, they're looking they're better this year. But it, there are areas of the country that this dry weather has really affected negatively. And we thought the crop was essentially made at the end of July. The numbers that came out in the August um, USDA crop report, the WASD, were – the yield that they had from the farmer surveys were close to 182 bushels an acre on corn. That would be an all-time record by a mile. They had been figuring a um, yield going in, the trend yield of 178 and a half, which also would have been a record. But you've gone from in August, we were thinking, and this is only three weeks ago, we were staring at a close to $2.8 billion bushel carryout, like I mentioned before. And now Depending on what the derecho did, depending on how the yields, because we've gone from three weeks ago again, essentially 70% good to excellent on the corn and the bean crops, and now corn was down 62%. I mean, we were last week, and we don't know where we're going to come out this Monday, but things have gone from really, really good to now it's not it's not bad, but it is concerning as far as flat price. Um, corn is up off its lows over 40 cents a bushel in just a few weeks. Beans are up almost a dollar. Soybean meal is up at $30. Um, it's, um, it's, 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 let's just say it's concerning, but at the same time, um, as far as protein production, we still have corn below $4. We still have a healthy balance sheet, however it, it, however it ends up. So um, it's something we're all watching very closely. But um, it's not the rosy picture that we had just a mere three weeks ago. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Another thing that I just wanted to chat with you about. So I do spend a little bit of time in the grain section of Comtel, right? We have a lot of poultry and egg producers that are customers of ours that follow those indicators similarly to you. Um, 
And one other thing I wanted to ask you about would be exports. Right, so what's going on with exports this year? That's not something we touched on too much last year, but I think there's some interesting uh, portions of that right now. Very good question. Last year with the trouble that we had with the crop, and, and usually when we're talking about exports, it's not, it, it, yes, it has to do with our crop here, but it also has to do with our main competitors as far as world export. And the, the biggest would be Brazil and South America. Brazil for corn and beans, Argentina, for beans and also for soybean meal, um, Asia being the biggest importer. I mean, China is the elephant in the room. Um, also, as far as corn exports, uh, the Ukraine is a huge exporter to China as well. Well, as we have we discussed last summer, um, the, the issues that we have with China coming off not only the you know the African swine flu that they were dealing with and their demand going down. Well, that is starting to improve. They're picking up their crop. They're picking up their hog herd. And also, with the trade embargo that has been going on, we finally came to the phase one agreement that has now been, you know, we're closing in on what since really it was signed was last winter. And looking at the figures that are promised for this next year, still behind, not sure how China's going to pick that up. But in the grand scheme, the exports that are on the books as of today versus this time last year, as far as all, all grains and ingredients, are far surpassed. Um, to give an example, last year at the same date in September, we had a combined corn, beans, soybean meal, and grain sorghum were 16 million extra tons that we had on the books for this past year. This year, at this point, we have 46 million metric tons. Um, 24 million metric tons of beans, 16 million metric tons of corn. Um, this is these are enormous figures. Now a lot of that is China, and, and a lot of that was figured into the balance sheet about what they were going to have to do as far as their promises to meet the terms of the Phase One agreement. It is definitely something that we will continue to monitor, um, especially as we get into this fall, because we don't know. Uh, going into next week when we have the September WASB, the next USDA crop report is next Friday the 11th. And given all that we have seen and all the different estimates that are coming in so far below their last numbers, and given that the USDA has put forth some very um, questionable figures over the past two years that went against what the trend and what the, what the estimates were going in, next week, you know, next Friday could be a, could be a wild card. Could be some fireworks. It, it could be. It could be benign. We just don't know. And if you think about that, if we were to sustain this type of export level and and have any kind of reduction in yields next year, that could really impact producers like Wayne Farms and others in terms of the cost of feed. No. Absolutely. That's what we try to. It's 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 risk management is what it is, and that's what we try to do now. Granted, we, we, we will always say that given the current environment and and from what I have seen, chicken prices have kind of leveled off. They're, they're they, you know, they, they spiked uh, back in the spring. Then they, um, then they went to almost record lows, and then they went back up again when, you know, the production couldn't keep up with the, even the reduced demand that was there. So... Now we've kind of leveled off at levels that are profitable across the industry. 
but if it, you know, it's, it's a it's a fine line when corn's trading 350-ish, which is where we're trading today, and soybean meal, it's up above about $315 a ton right now. But if it's around that $300 level, but all it takes is 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 a crop scare or something as far as uh, problems. Even now, I mean, is we are going into harvest. South America is going into planting. So everybody has to have a a at least a decent crop right now because the world population only continues to grow. Demand will continue to grow, and we have to look forward and know that if soybean meal goes to four hundred dollars and corn goes to four fifty or five dollars, you know it, it's it's back in the red. I mean that's not profitable for for any of the protein industry. So um, yes, it's concerning. Wow. So I guess we're all just going to be on the edge of our seats until that WASI report comes out. Just like the last time when we did this, we were waiting for a really, really pivotal update. So obviously we'll take a look at that when it comes out. I'm sure you will too. But maybe once we get a better handle on how this bad weather across the Midwest impacted the yields, maybe we can revisit this and get an update on how things are looking for the rest of the year. Yes, and also, like I mentioned, that yes, there are some areas of the country that have been have been are concerning because of the dry weather. But there's also areas that are going to have all-time record yields. I mean, all told, we still, you know, even the even the worst case estimates going into this yield for next Friday are still over 10 bushels per acre above where we were last year. So it, it's it's things. It, it's still a really, really great crop. I mean, we could end up still with a, a top three all-time record production of corn. Um, beans are a little, you know, we're given that two years ago we were talking about it for the first time ever a billion, close to a billion bushel carryout on beans. We didn't get there, but we were over 900 million. And prior to that year, no one ever thought we would truly have a 500 million soybean carryout. So. This year, the last what estimate in August was just over 600 million beans because they're planted later. They don't appear to be, and even as far as condition ratings, to be as hurt as badly as corn just the past three or four weeks. So um, it, it's not as concerning as corn, and it's really nothing that it, we worry as far as risk management about $5 corn and up, and we worry about $400 and per ton soybean meal and higher. This this is not the year that that will happen, but it's it's the carryouts as we've seen the past few weeks, and we'll see how next Friday shakes out. But um, if it, it, every time it goes a bit a little bit lower, everybody starts to worry a bit a little bit further about next year. Absolutely, and I think that this entire you know volatile up and down scary, uncertain period of time that we've all been experiencing together. The one thing that has been consistent, and I've done a lot of podcasts on COVID-19, is that the one thing that we can count on is the food system here in the United States, from the farmers that are out there producing the ingredients for the feed to the producers who are taking the extra precautions to make sure that production meets demand to all of the logistics companies safely getting everything and fulfilling orders to the retailers, to the retailers making sure that there's a safe and plentiful food supply for the people in the communities, and to food service who has started to rebound. 
and has made several different innovations, right? Between your DoorDash and your Uber Eats and pickup and, you know, makeshift outdoor dining to keep people coming to their restaurants, supporting their businesses and doing so in a very safe way. It's very comforting to know that amid something that none of us could have anticipated, none of us have lived through before, uh, people like yourself, people like Wayne Farms have continued to keep Americans fed. And um, that says a lot about where we are in food. Absolutely. Eat more chicken, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you can't push the industry. You know, you, you can only, you, you, you can't overproduce, obviously. And I think the, the industry was on a trend, you know, growing, you know, one and a half, two percent each year. And I think that the hope is that we'll continue to grow. They'll find new avenues, just like you said. I mean, the, 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 I think the consumer wants to get out. They want to feel normalcy. They want to get the way to back to where the things are. But at the same time, there's still, you know, uh, so many people that were that were laid off, that lost their jobs. I mean, it, it, there's a lot that has to happen um, for things to improve. But um, yes, I agree. Wayne Farms and and our industries are doing everything they can to safely um, provide the best quality. And of of the products that we have um, at the at the at the best prices, and we appreciate it. We especially me because I'll tell you what, <laughs> my freezer is full right now. I learned my lesson when the when the shelves were getting a little low and they put limits on how much I could buy. My my freezer is full, and I am very thankful. I'm also thankful, obviously, for for you joining me again. I really appreciated um, that you took the time out. I know we're, we're coming up on Labor Day weekend. A lot of people are taking early Fridays, but you're an absolute trooper carving out a little bit of your afternoon to spend with me and to talk about a market that we don't discuss enough and that you and I should discuss some more, which is the feed market. And I really appreciate that. Well, Laura, thank you. And I, I wish that I had more clarity to offer, you know, when after August, every, you know, we really, it, it was almost like it was, we were kind of in a lull that, you know, everything looked so good across all the crops um, going into that WASDI. And then since then, we've had all these, all these unprecedented things happen that we just, nobody was expecting. So this late, this is what's so interesting about this year to be this late in the year when we really don't know about what the harvested acres will be. We really don't know what the yield will be. Um, and, and usually you have a pretty good idea, but this year, because of these events that have happened right here at the tail end, everybody's in the dark. And normally we have a pretty, even last year with all the flooding and everything, we had pictures. We knew, you know, tentatively what was going on and, and, and how, how, at the time, how poorly things were going to turn out. Um, this year, it's 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 a wild card until we get the numbers for next from next Friday, which and the you know the the estimates the independent analysts that have come out over the past two weeks that have done field surveys, they they have kind of run a gamut too where you have one that was you know five or six bushels an acre below the USDA and another one that was up a few from there. These are respected people that we always that we always the trade listens to what they say. Um, but until we have that USDA figure, and then of course it could, it could change a little bit in the October and then the November WASDs when they come out.
but this one's pivotal and this one this one's so unknown so I would love to chat with you again after next Friday because <laughs> then then we'll have a better a clearer view of the balance sheet um, not just in the US but worldwide as well absolutely and it's funny because you're apologizing for not having more clarity, but Glenn, if you knew what was going to happen, I got to tell you, I knew a few people that would make you a very rich man. So <laughs> <laughs> when none of us know, we're all in the dark. We're all just hoping for the best. And we'll definitely catch up after the report comes out. And we'll talk again before our epic virtual event. And in the meantime, I hope that um, all the listeners will obviously um, have a way to get in touch with you if they have questions, right? You're an expert. You demonstrate that time after time. So if, if anybody wanted to connect with you and pick your brain about your field, and I use that pun very, very, very uh, appropriately here, where would they reach out to you? What's the best way? Um, well, um, this will be, um, I imagine, on LinkedIn is one way, or email, glennsmith at waynefarms.com. Perfect. G-L-E-N-N dot Smith at waynefarms.com. Perfect. I hope all of you listening enjoyed this week's segment of the Ernerberry Weekly Market Digest with the fantastic, the very experienced, and the so fun to talk to Glenn Smith, Director of Feed Ingredient Procurement at Wayne Farms. Uh, definitely keep sending me your suggestions for future topics and guests at lzinger at ernerberry.com. Don't forget to call me at 732-240-5330. And as always, don't forget to connect with Glenn and me on LinkedIn to stay up to date on everything center of the plate.